Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We've got old pal Chase Parham on the show today. We talked about a rough weekend for Ole Miss baseball out west at Hawaii. A little bit of basketball and some golf talk at the end as well. So buckle up. I think you'll enjoy this podcast. Before we get to that, though, I want to take one quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Seaspire. It's time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with Seaspire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have a reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why Seaspire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99.99% uptime. Seaspire also prides themselves in having the best customer service in the home internet market. Their customer service is award-winning local service based out of the Southeast with industry low call wait time. Seaspire provides one gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and the Southern Alabama regions. Seaspire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new two gigabit and eight gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to cspire.com slash home today to use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, at checkout for one month of free service. That's right. Just for listening to this podcast, Podcast, you get one month of free service when signing up for Seaspire. Check them out. Seaspire, customer inspired. This podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. College basketball season's heating up. NFL's winding down. If you're trying to make a little money, make a little extra cash in your pocket, you need to go with Skybox. Their bread and butter is and has always been college basketball. I've been saying it on this podcast for years at this point. Let me lend you inside a little bit of Skybox's year-long college basketball action this so far this year. They're up 24 and a half units on overs on the year. They're up 0.027 units on unders, plus 19 and a half units on against the spreads and are up a total of 39 units on the year with the $100 better per unit. You're up almost $4,000. That'd be $3,908 on the season. Don't you wish you had that? Well, you probably didn't sign up for Skybox. Check them out today. You'll find the picks package that fits your price range. Get familiar with Skybox before March Madness. Let them help you make some money on the end of the NFL season and so much more. They're the best sports handicapping site in the business. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. The stats speak for themselves. And if you go online and find a picks package today and use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, you'll get 20% off any package. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. All right, here's Chase. All right, we now welcome on Rebel Grove's Chase Parham, filling in for the lack of a uh, Sunday-Monday show. Bracken was playing in a golf tournament. I told Colin that we didn't need to do anything on Sunday because hoops took precedent. Ended up with no show. Um, it is – we recorded this on a Tuesday afternoon. We're – little more than 48 hours removed from whatever the hell went down on the island that no one could see. Maybe the takeaway from the weekend is it's a good thing that games weren't televised? Uh, maybe. By the way, congratulations to Colin. I saw he got his first win as a softball head coach oh, yeah. over the uh, over the weekend. They pulled off a 3-1 uh, victory over his alma mater there. I did notice that. But, yeah, look, I, I, I – uh, I hate it because not being able to see except for that first game, I listened on the radio and I, I basically listened to the entire series. I put an AirPod in at basketball on a Saturday night and then um, caught the rest of it listening to um, Eli Savoy and Brad Henderson doing the play-by-play. -play. But when you can't see it, it's just hard to know so many different things. But look, the, the stat sheet is very scary. Um, the stat sheet showed a team that looked very similar to last year. 
And I mean that in a very bad way um, as far as what that is. Now, you know, we can break through, break down, we probably will, what that means, what that might mean, what what is considered and all those different elements. But at the same time, when you look at the raw numbers of the weekend and you combine it with Mike Bianco's quotes, where Mike talked about in his 24 seasons, he has not seen a team lose confidence like that in the middle of a game, that they lost their composure, they couldn't throw strikes, they couldn't throw the ball across the diamond, they couldn't field it, they couldn't do these things. And you just kind of wonder why, because I, I wrote on Saturday and at the time I was just kind of looking for a concept for a story, but as time went on, I think I was proven more right than I realized at the time that Hawaii was a mirror because Hawaii is a pretty good baseball team. They're not a great baseball team. They're not an SEC baseball team. They're not going to Omaha, but at the same time, they're not trash. They play fundamental baseball. They play that West coast style of play, where it's really hard to hit the ball out of the ballpark out there, but they're going to make a lot of routine plays. They're going to be fairly athletic. They're going to try to run some, they're going to do all those sort of dirt bag type things that you see from West coast baseball. And if you play really well, you win the game. And if you play okay, you're in the game. And if you play like crap, they're going to beat you. And and that's what Ole Miss did is they got outscored 22 to five of the last two games of that series. Their starting pitchers only want to combine 13 innings with four starts um, over the course of the weekend. And and look, this thing is there, there's two things that Ole Miss has to do. Period. They have to let their starting pitchers keep them in the game. They don't have to dominate games, but they have to keep them in the game. And then they have to have productive at-bats with runners in scoring position and runners on base, and they've got to move runners. Because, look, this is the team that I like the influx of what they've done in the lineup for the most part. And, again, it's only four games. I'm not throwing in the towel on this offense. But it's also an offense that lost three all-SEC bats. This that, that team had Jacob Gonzalez, Calvin Harris, and Kemp Alderman on it last year. Three dudes who were all-SEC by multiple publications or different publications. And they went six and twenty-four. So this team one through nine has got to be efficient. They've got to move runners. They got to do good things. You know, Mike Bianco focused all fall and all spring on don't walk people and walk offensively. Those two things. Because when today's strike zone, that's what this is about. This is about not walking people when you're on the mound, and it's about walking when you're at the plate. And they simply did not do that. I mean, I'm looking at, at the numbers. I know I'm rat rambling on, so you can stop me whenever, but when I look at the numbers for the weekend. They were 9 for 63 with runners on base. They were 7 for 42 with runners in scoring position. And then I had it up a second ago. I can't find it right now. But they walked the second most people of any staff in the league inside the SEC. I'm looking at it here. Um, LSU just couldn't throw a strike at all. That was phenomenal numbers out of them. But beyond that, Ole Miss walked 17 people in uh, 26 innings. That doesn't account hit by pitches, but they walked 17 and 26 innings. Yeah, you make a face there. I know we're not on ESPN 8 for people to see. I'll give you LSU's number, though. This is even more phenomenal. LSU, uh, where is it? All pitching, total pitching, LSU. 27 walks in 34 innings for the uh, Tigers to date. Oh, my God. I... <laughs> I was gonna ask you who was the worst. LSU would not have been on my bingo card. I uh, I didn't get to watch it. There's no Paul Skeens walking through that door. No, there is. There is certainly not. And I that's pretty shocking. But like from the Ole Miss perspective, I thought Mike's quotes maybe were the most telling part of the weekend. Where he, I mean, he didn't often do the whole in my twenty something years I've never seen this. That's not really how he operates. And so, after four games, it's so early. Yes. You have a total new team. Like he was given. Mike was given so many outs 
to just kind of go, hey, look, not a good start. We're going to move this, and we're going to move on, and we're going to get back to Swayze on Wednesday, and we're, we're going to work on this. Because it was. I mean, you look at the normal starting lineup. I know I've played a lot of guys, but the opening day starting lineup. The opening starting lineup had, let's see, six new players in it. Um, I think that's right. Maybe seven. LeJ and Groff might have been the only two, now that I think about it. They might have been the only two in Burford. So six and a half-ish new players. But not um, a returning starter in Burford. No, like no, no, I'm saying. The, just yeah. somebody who's played some. So we'll go six and a half. You had all the transfers, and you had Campbell Smithwick behind the plate. They're four time zones away, a lot of stuff going on, travel. Like, there was all these different things that at least potentially you could just say contributed to move on. And, look, Mike didn't do that. He was incredibly honest. I mean, he said, I've never seen this. It wasn't good enough. Um, there's no positives I can think of at one point on Sunday, I think was a quote that he gave. All these different things. He said they had a chance to have a great weekend and blew it. That was a, a, a quote that he had over the course of the weekend. And Brad Henderson doing kind of his job as a as a you know Ole Miss centric color commentator asked Mike, well you know you're in Hawaii and you were four time zones away and Mike goes yeah but we won the first two games it wasn't jet lag we were two and zero and then we, we 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 didn't play well and you know the scary part of that is they were much closer to one and three than three and one because Braden Randall catches a line drive in that ninth inning on a Friday night that if it's two feet either way, Hawaii has won that game there in regulation, and we don't have the late night and the Twitter fun and all the stuff that would, uh, was going on after that. But, no, it was a it was a really bad weekend in all three phases. And it was a really bad weekend from the standpoint of what you need the DNA of this team to be as they move forward and what's going to make them good if they end up being a, a competent, competitive SEC team. And, look, I know they played four games. And there was, I think I counted seven or eight pitchers that I did like what they did over the course of the weekend. But there was not a single overall segment of that game as far as a, a phase of that game that Ole Miss did well enough to win inside the SEC. They get home tomorrow. They get high point on this weekend. And then next weekend, you got to get back to work too because Iowa comes to town. And Iowa's got one of the best pitching staffs in the, in the, uh, in the country. Yeah, that's going to be a quick turnaround and another tough test for them. The – you mentioned the outs that Mike had and he's in the past. I don't even say he's like guilty of it per se, but like he's usually pretty measured and, you know, will lean towards the, Hey, glass half full, you know, a lot of factors here. I, I was very, as you outlined a second ago, I was very curious that he didn't take any of those. And maybe he was just fuming mad about the way the last, you know, 36 hours had gone for his club. But he doesn't usually do that, at least not very often, particularly for radio. He's done it with uh, us or what used to be us a couple of times after mm -hmm. he's done with the radio interview. But he didn't lean into any of that. And I'm curious, do you think that's a general theme with like this whole team and his mindset? Because I actually revert back to the, the hype video, if you want to call it that. Um, which seemingly had mixed reviews. I actually thought it was kind of cool that they not acknowledge, acknowledged how like how bad last year was and they're you know <laughs> running to rectify it. Apparently, the delivery of the video and like quality and stuff, people had issues with that. I am not one to speak on that. I, I I can't, that's not my realm of expertise. But the fact that Mike was like, Yeah, that's fine, put that out there, and trust me, he signed off on it. I found that out the hard way in a different form. Like, is that just – is like, I, what did you make of that whole thing? Because that happened before all of this happened. Do you think that plays into it at all? Do you think they're in any way related? 
Maybe I mean, look, Mike knows the score. I mean, because look, we 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 do all these things where, and there's plenty of ways why Mike is kind of a character in a in a movie that is this program and his life and whatnot. But it's also his program. It's a program that for twenty something years has been very competitive. Has been competitive on the SEC level and the national level. And look, the last two years have been hell in a lot of ways. You know, look, it get it gets brushed over here. Because of the way the end of 22 went, and I talked about it on our show the other day, that the 22 season is the new can he or can't he get to Omaha? Because you can read whatever out of 22 you want to read. If you're the Pollyanna or the Optimist or whatever, and you want to go, hey, he won the title. He won the title. He got his ring. Give him all the money. You're, you're, you're right. He won the title. They did a hell of a job. They had a magnificent June. But if you go, yeah, and they shouldn't have gotten the tournament, and they barely got in, and if one guy had done this, or had they played Arkansas State, then he'd have been fired on that May afternoon or all that stuff. That's also true. My point being as I say this is that, and I mean, look, you can read this in like chapter eight of Resilient Rebels. I mean, Mike talks about in the 2022 season, he was getting texts and phone calls from people going, are you okay? I mean, he knew the score. He knew that he was potentially going to be run out of a program that he had built at that point. It was not a fun season. It was a fun postseason. Those are two totally different things. Mike had a pretty shitty season, frankly, in 2022. You get to 2023, he's admitted that he knew early on they had problems. There's nothing about that season that went well. It snowballed. Um, you know, do I think there were 6-24 and 24 bad? No, I don't. I think things just started falling apart at one, at one point, and it gets there. But he has this terrible season, really the first season he's ever had it as a head coach like that. And I think that's been his mindset as he's gone into this year not feeling a pressure as in anything has to happen, but feeling a pressure of he owes it to the program. He owes it to the fan base. He owes it to people to fix it. And I do think it's a sign of that. I thought it was a sign of kind of just frustration going, hey, we're, we're supposed to be fixing this. Instead, this looked worse than it's looked at times last season. But the weird part of that and the hard part of that is that it's not the same guys. I mean, as I just said, I mean, Andrew Fisher had nothing to do with six and 24. Tracy Hughes had nothing to do with six, six and 24. Campbell Smithwick, Luke Hill going down and down the, down the list. Frankly, even a John Kramer or somebody, they didn't really play. So other than some pitching staff guys who we're going to give them every benefit of the doubt because they were freshmen last season and thrown into the absolute hardest season there's ever been to pitch in the SEC and part of a team that was falling apart in all these different ways. I find that fascinating is that Mike Bianco has all these different scar tissue things and trying to fix it and trying to get back. And he's been around for all of it. But when he looks around, he's kind of like that Will Smith Jeff where he's just in the room by himself because maybe not on the roster, but on the guys who play, there's no contributor from that 2022 national championship team. And we're talking about just two years, Josh Mallets, I guess, but Mallets was good yesterday. Um, Mason Nichols. There's a couple. My it's fault. those two. Yeah, on a day-to-day level, as far as position players, there's nobody. So I guess that's my point. Is like Ethan Groff wasn't around for that. All these dudes weren't around for that. Ethan Leje wasn't around for that. So it's a strange dynamic when the program is carrying all that. But frankly, all these new dudes are just trying to learn how to play together. And that's the other part of this is that. Look, the portal takes some time to mesh. You can't do that in the fall. You do that when adversity hits, and you see how it goes. It's what, it's, it's been what's so incredible about the job that Lane Kiffin did with the football program and all the portal guys in the fall. 
it's the probably really big benefit to the portal guys and Lane Kiffin's 2024 season because they get a really soft schedule early on to kind of mold and come together, and then you get into the fire after that. I think that's why this past weekend was key is that Mike is already looking at him going, guys, you can't play like that. That's not possible. Whatever you are or not, that wasn't good enough. But what he's carrying with him day to day is far different than what an Andrew Fisher or somebody is. So that juxtaposition, maybe it maybe it's not good or bad or anything, but I still think it's there and it's evident. Um, that's going to be one of the more interesting things to follow as the season kind of plays out because Mike's on an island when it comes to seeing the entire picture. Yeah, no pun intended in terms of that either as well. And then, you know, you mentioned the part where Hawaii's fine. Like, I mean, I thought the mirror analogy was pretty apt when you wrote it on Saturday evening. But, like, Mike doesn't really schedule week in the non-conference, but with this team and his comments about losing their composure and losing so much confidence, as we're, and you can't do anything about this, so this is not really even a, like a, they should have done this instead. It's just an observation. Would they have benefited from having, like, a William and Mary in Oxford to start the year? Because the fact that that didn't happen, they play a decent team that can beat you if you play like shit, and that's exactly what happened so far away. And they kind of come unglued in the process. Allegedly, again, we're all we're all ears here instead of watching it with our eyeballs. Do you think that would have benefited them at all? I mean, it's impossible to say. And again, we're four games in, but I'm just curious. Like, it's a very curious part of this whole thing as well. After just one weekend, you would have been much better off playing like crap in a game you win. Yeah, you can still teach some lessons. You get the win. You try to build some confidence. You play at home. And look, they they weren't supposed to be in Hawaii. They were supposed to be in Arizona. Now, would that made have any difference? I don't know. But in Arizona, they'd have played a few better teams. Some other things would have happened. I mean, there was a different element to that in some ways. Um, yeah, no, 100%. This was not the team that you really wanted to take away on week one. This is a team that you want to play at home for two weeks. Then you want to go on the road or play some neutral tight tournament against some good opponents and then come back at home for that fourth weekend in a perfect world. That's what I wanted to do. If I could just put the schedule together, it would be – play an opening weekend you're going to win, play a second weekend that's not some great team, but a good team, go on the road, go to Frisco or Round Rock or Arlington or wherever you want to go and play some tournament and then come back and kind of get healthy before conference play, which you also open up at home in in, in South Carolina. Um, you know, because I look at their schedule, and if they're an average SEC team, and I think, look, I think if you try to put their ceiling at higher than average SEC right now, you are being way too optimistic because we're just not seeing that to, to to be an evident thing with this team right now. But the middle of the schedule is soft enough that there's some wins there and you can be okay. I mean, Neil and I yesterday just playing around did a, I thought fairly, it was a little optimistic because like I gave them two against South Carolina and I gave them a couple series, but I didn't give them anything crazy, and I still got them to 14, 15 wins. And that was even after watching the weekend, if they just play okay. Um, so, yeah, this is not perfect, but it is what it is. And right now, the, the, the is to this is I do think they're going to hit. I think they're going to be really good defensively in the outfield. It's just a matter of can the starting pitching give them enough. This is up to J.K. Quinn and Gunnar Dennis and Raleigh Maddox and Grayson Saunier and whatever the group ends up being of that. And it's up to Mike. Is there a point early where he goes, nope, Wes Mendez, here's the ball, because he threw well. What, what what does this look like? How do you do it? Um, I think there's enough arms on this team, but they have to be put together in a puzzle incredibly well, and that's not something that my, has been Mike's strong suit over the course of his two-plus decades. 
except for somehow doing it in 2022. And like, that's another piece of this conversation too, is like they get nothing out of the starting pitching. They don't get any sort of length from it at all. It's really the third year in a row that's been the case. Look, I know they had the injury to Hunter Elliott last year. That doesn't help. You have the injury to Xavier Rivas this year. But I mean, and really I, the injury to Elliott because this team was supposed to have both. Yes, guys. that's fair. That's that's a fair point as well. But what do you make of that? Is it just unfortunate uh, injury luck in terms of losing the wrong guys? But this is now three years in a row. Really, the last year where you felt great about an old Miss rotation was twenty one, where you had what ended up being an awesome sophomore year from Gunner, Doug, and then you figure it out on Sundays. But like even last year. I, I, Hunter Elliott was not saving that team. Like they, it may have not have snowballed and then it may have been, end up being fine. Maybe made Hoover had an outside shot to get the NCAA tournament, but a hundred, a healthy Hunter Elliott doesn't drastically change the dynamic of that team last year. And then two years ago, Hunter Elliott becomes a star. Dylan DeLucia becomes a star, but you're talking about a team in mid-March where Mike Bianco basically abandoned the concept of starting pitching altogether. He's like, we don't have starters. We don't have relievers. We just have pitchers. <laughs> Is in your mind is if you when you wrap your head around all of that, is there a reason for that? Is there a theme? Why has this happened for three years in a row now where you don't feel good about any single guy that you slot into your rotation coming into the year? And feel good, it, it, that's a different that's a very vague way to put it, but like this guy's gonna be a dude on either Friday or Saturday. They really haven't had that in three seasons. Well, look, in 2022, it was Mike made the wrong decisions. They were right there in front of him. He just didn't do it. He didn't. Dylan DeLucia had a bad fall, and that stuck in Mike's mind for a long time in 2022. He had been really bad the months prior to that. And, and you know, I think, I mean, I wrote it in the book, uh, his JUCO coach, um, I don't really mean to start pubbing the book constantly. We're talking about 2022. Um, the JUCO it all coach, falls back together. I mean, that, that, that yeah, it's fine. Yeah. It's, it, it's whatever. So in 2022, he has that fall, and he's really bad. And his JUCO coach basically calls him and goes, look, He's not a great practice arm. Just give him the ball on the mound. Like, it's going to be what it is. Like, just hand him the ball, let him start, and he's going to be okay. And Mike couldn't get there for so long. You know, he'd used him out of the bullpen, and it was okay, and he'd done all this, and he'd done all this, but he couldn't get there. And then with Hunter, probably made the right call. He didn't want to tire out the freshman immediately and just run his pitch count up and do all those things, but they were just abandoned where those were the clear number two, the two guys. Now, here's what Mike – I don't know if credit's the right word – but I think it's a part of the thing. We say he found it and he did all this and he did all this stuff in 22 eventually. It's possible that Delucia and Elliott not pitching the entire season gave them better arms oh, yeah. and more strength in their arms by the end because they weren't as tired out. So it could have been the most just silver lining of silver linings. But to your point, I almost wonder if it's something with pressure or things feeding on itself because, you know, it, it's two things. Last year, like I said, it was just really hard to pitch. Um, we talked about all the reasons why. The new strike zones, the umpires not calling the high strike inside the track man zones, the pitch clocks were brand new, all these different things. And Ole Miss's rotation last year, for the most part, was nothing but newcomers. It was guys who were in their first year and they're having to figure it out. You know, I know Jack Doherty started some, but it wasn't his best role. You were doing that out of obligation and out of necessity more than anything else. It was a bunch of new dudes, and then you get here, and Quinn and Saunier had a really good fall. Quinn and Saunier had a really good preseason, and they carried themselves well. That that That's probably the most frustrating thing for Mike, was that JT and Grayson specifically, they really showed a lot of maturity, handled it, threw a bunch of pitches for strikes. 
I mean, they just emphasized filling up the strike zone, and then they get out there in Hawaii, and it doesn't look like that. JT doesn't trust his stuff in the same way. They get behind. They walk some guys. They can't get any kind of length. It's what's happening between practice field and intra-squad to game field that is the question, and I think it's something that's hit them two or three years in a row, and I, I don't know the answer for it because, look, it's one thing to get rattled at Alex Box or Baum Walker, but you're you're probably shouldn't be getting rattled in whatever the name of the the, the stadium is out there in Honolulu. Yeah, that's definitely a big. I mean, the dozens of people in the stands, and the the other part of it too is like, is it just? I hate to like keep going back to like the Pollyanna view of this, but is is just one weekend? Because I was again, I didn't get to see the Sonye start. I saw, I mean, I saw all of the Quinn start. I, I have to be hand up. I did fall asleep on the couch and had to rewatch the rest of that the next. What innings you go to bed? I think I fell asleep around the eighth. Uh, I told my uh, puppy Eddie, I was like, "Hey, if I fall asleep, you better start barking." Guy didn't do his job. Uh, I had to wake up the next morning to watch the finish. But so you wouldn't have joined Richard and I at Waffle House at like four a.m. We were discussing it. I saw that tweet. Did that actually happen? It didn't happen, but I was just joking. Richard thought I was serious. He sent me a text and was like, I mean, I am hungry. Are you are, are you in? And I was like, dude, I gotta go to bed. Like it's 4 a.m. Like I have not slept at all. I gotta I, I gotta get some sleep in right here. Oh, he will so he he was wanting to go. Yeah, he was in. Oh, he'll do that. I Dick Cross, <laughs> uh, y'all are kind of the same person. Y'all don't really sleep a ton. I'm surprised you're the one that bailed for lack of sleep. I remember when I used to work with Richard, he would call me, not like super late, but he would kind of call me relatively late at nights when he's like going to take the trash to the dumpster or driving back from somewhere and just like feed off ideas and stuff. Like he he's a night owl. <laughs> Richard okay. Cross will uh, burn the candle a little bit. And he had a game the next night because he did Ole Miss, Missouri. Guy's a machine. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, go ahead. My bad. No, and so I'm just like all of that happens, and with the Quinn and Sonya thing, and again, I don't get to see the Sonya start. I see the Quinn piece of it, but so often you've seen Mike have this uber talented freshman who comes in and he struggles his first year, and you take that gigantic sophomore jump. And with the way they talked about, particularly Sonya, not as much Quinn, but a decent bit. I expected that jump to happen. Like with best case scenario, they both end up being all SEC dudes. You're like, all right, this team's pretty pretty fine. I didn't necessarily forecast that part of it but i mean are you still i say holding out hope are you still pretty open-minded about what they could be this year despite one start in hawaii yeah i'm not judging them if we're i mean i'm gonna have opinions after every game but i am not going overly definitive at minimum until after the south carolina series five weeks um i look you can't just fall apart in the non-league but Two and two against Hawaii is not in a vacuum knocking them out of NCAA tournament play by any stretch of that imagination. It's not good, not ideal. They need to go at least three and one, but it is what it is. No, I mean, look, Quinn is talented. The fastball is good enough. The secondary stuff's really good. I thought he carried himself well. I, I, I thought all that stuff's there. And then Sonia is the most talented player on the team, potentially. From a raw, put him in a tunnel and let him just throw to a metric standpoint. I mean, he's he's has the talent. So, look, this is... This feels mental, okay? It feels like a lot of pressure on some guys that have not found a way to kind of calm down and handle it. Because when you're not throwing strikes at the same clip that you can throw strikes and intra-squads facing your own lineup, that tells me you're pressing. That tells me you're doing something that is causing your mechanics to get off or you're thinking too much or you're trying to be too fine or you're doing something. Now, look, it's up to the coaching staff to figure out what that is and help you through it. And that's where this falls right now when you look at kind of what's going on with those two guys. So, sure, losing Rebus was a big deal 
but that shouldn't change the way Quinn and Sonia are performing because all four pitchers, that's the thing. It's they just didn't have command. And it's guys, you know, Gunnar Dennis's number one thing that he does is command. I mean, he doesn't throw overly hard. He's throwing from the left side. I mean, he's supposed to just fill it up and be the prototype for that kind of pitcher in 2024. And that didn't happen. I mean, he was look, almost won that game five to two and credit to him. He got double plays. I'm not taking that away from him. But he also had a whip of over two over the course of his four innings. I mean, he he needed that level of help to 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 be good on Saturday afternoon. So no, this is this feels mental. This feels like it's pressurized. This feels like Mike and Carl, and it's it's sort of on them to figure out how to calm these guys down, slow the net game down, frankly, find a way to slow it down and relax and just 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 play baseball. This team's not playing baseball. Frankly, from last year, a lot a lot of it, once it started spiraling to this year, even the portal guys to an extent are probably feeding off this. It just kind of feels like they're in, there's an anvil on their back where there's so much pressure pressure to fix something. And you keep hearing, "Hey, you won a title 2 years ago." And it's just that, that that can't be the case. It has to be about fixing this team, and that's not where they're at right now. We'll get back to Chase in just one second, but before we do, I want to take one quick break to remind you this podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. If you're a Rippy Right subscriber, that's rippyrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me, plus discounted meats. Right now, if you're a Rippy Right subscriber, just go in and show Greg proof of subscription. You get three six-ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. If it's a $40 valuation, you're getting there for 20 bucks. Just show him proof of subscription. He'll get you all set up. Then go find your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world. All kinds of delicious cuts of meats. Go to LB's this holiday season. It will make everything in your house better people be like where the hell did you get this awesome stuff like lb's university avenue in oxford it is a crown jewel of the south a crown jewel of oxford check them out today lb's university avenue this podcast is now brought to you by mc speech therapy has your child been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or another developmental disorder mc speech therapy offers private speech therapy from the comfort of your own home other centers may leave you as the parent sitting in the waiting room. MC Speech Therapy enables parents to make every moment with their child therapeutic. Using a relationship-based framework, MC Speech Therapy can help your child engage, relate, and communicate. Mary Claire Boudreaux's doctorate-level expertise and passion in helping children with communication difficulties offers articulation and language therapy, parent training, is, and is licensed to do virtual therapy across the state of Mississippi. With MC Speech Therapy, you and your family will gain a better understanding of your child while cultivating stronger relationships. For service today, call 903-824-8575 or email her at maryclaire at mcspeechtherapy.net. That is M-A-R-Y-C-L-A-I-R-E at mcspeechtherapy.net. All right, back to Chase. And as we continue to try to do like the psychology of this team, I mean, I asked you about Mike earlier and why he made the comments that he did in the video and all of that. Like you mentioned the pressure, where's that coming from after one week in Hawaii? I mean, Mike, for all of his awesomeness as a, as a coach, has also been guilty of being too uptight and putting too much pressure on the guys. Do you think that's where some of that's stemming from? Because, it, I mean, it's the antithesis of the point you made earlier. Most of these dudes didn't have anything to do with 6-24. and 24. Most of them on the field. So that's got to be where it's coming from. And that's why, I guess, ultimately, where we get to the final point of this, I don't think they're that bad. I, I, I don't. I think that, like you mentioned, you and Neil did the exercise today. I, I don't think they're going to be horrible. Did this weekend sound horrible? Yeah, probably. But like they're still probably fine. I just I can't envision a scenario where this team doesn't have enough arms and doesn't have enough SEC quality hitters to where they're at least not average. Are you still there? 
Yeah, I mean, as long as I think the lineup is going to do better than it did over the weekend, I still like the talent. I like the pieces for the most part. Now, there's a couple parts of it that I, I don't like. I think he's playing too much. But for the most part, yeah, I, I like the the offense okay. And, and then the pitching, it's, it's back to the same thing. It's They just have to be in the right spots. I mean, I, I pulled it up here. I thought there was considerable positives from these arms. Mason Nichols was outstanding. And There's he's even no more outstanding when you put him in that predicament. He cannot be named the closer where he just has the ninth inning. He's this multi-inning, bring him in earlier in the game. Mike did a good job with where he put Mason in the game. That was well done. He was great. Connor Spencer was electric on Friday night. Got the save, got the three outs. Two of them were by strikeouts. That's the uh, Southeastern Louisiana product, a kid who probably would have had a lot more portal, at least – competition for him would be the way to put it. He probably still ends up at Ole Miss, but competition uh, for him had he not had a little bit of a lingering injury when he was there at Selah. He throws hard. He's good. I thought Mallets looked like his old self for the most part. I thought he was good. Um, they got a great outing out of Mason Morris. He goes 2.2 innings, and he was really, really good. Wes Mendez was fantastic. Three scoreless innings, a, uh, a whip of .33, four strikeouts. Uh, he was great. Braden Jones was good enough completely good enough. Uh, Cole Tolbert was fine. And then Austin Simmons was really good. I just don't know what the hell to do with it. I mean, I know you have a little knowledge of him too. I I was shocked he pitched. It's a weird deal because he throws an inning. He strikes out two. He was great, but he is so concentrated on football to the point that he gave me the quote that he's, he's on a pitch count at baseball to protect his arm for football practice. He's going to go to every spring football practice I I just don't know how much Mike can throw him because you don't really have him as like a complete part of the team, if that makes sense. So what the I, hell you do with him, I have no idea. All right, so a couple of hypotheticals here. Is Josh Mallett's in the starting rotation before the end of this year? Oh, dear God. Um, No. I think he and Connor Spencer are their best two relievers. What about Mendez? Yes. I think he is a starting pitcher in the SEC as a freshman. If you told me I was buying stock on a player on this team, given where the price currently is, I would buy West Mendez stock. Connor Spencer. He's the closer. Then what is Mallet's Just basically Mason just Nichols? That too. Yeah, I think depending on how many innings and things you need, I mean, I, I just think they're both bullpen guys. Um, that's, that's kind of the thing here. I, I think your starters still have to come from some portion of Mendez, Quinn, Saunier. I mean, I still think Riley Maddox profiles as a starter. I know he didn't look very good the other day. It was also the first time he's ever done that. And he, look, it's, it's still a young guy who's trying to figure things out. Um, no, I don't, I just think Mallets is so slider dependent that starting him just, I don't know. I mean, it just doesn't quite feel like the profile. Now, look, maybe you end up in an opener situation. I mean, as you said, Mike has been more than willing to just scrap rotations in the past. But in general, if you're trying to get like four or five innings out of a guy once a week, I don't think that makes a ton of sense. I think you have to be really good on the back end, and you're trying to do that Mississippi State John Cohen thing where you're just trying to get to that group and then hope you you can hold on and win games. Because, look, last year they actually were in, you know, not a lot, but there was five or six, seven games that they had leads in the eighth inning, and they just didn't have anybody to finish them. 
Another piece of this too is when you talk about like kind of figuring out this pitching rotation, the Kyle Carmick kid, I think he got in on Sunday after things had gotten out of hand. Again, without seeing it, it's hard to tell. He wasn't very good. I think he allowed like a hit through runs. I walked four people. I, I don't know how many hitters he faced, but that's a tough one. Who do you think starts Wednesday? And do you think that has any indication of them trying to fix this long term or it's just let's get a guy out there against high point? Who would be your guest? Is it him? It's a weird deal because it's on Wednesday. You know and what I mean? He only threw two thirds of an inning. Like that would have been my guess, but again, I don't know off the top of my head. I don't know. I, I, I was gonna say Mendez to give him a start, and I think if it was a Tuesday game, that's uh, exactly what would happen. But with it being Wednesday, I don't want to blow him where he can't throw over the weekend. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's their problem right now. Is I just think. I think they're in a mess from who to pitch because I think you've got to make sure it's not somebody who you need early in the week. Um, if it was a Tuesday, I think that's the clear answer to see what it looks like. I'm kind of thinking, I, I still think if you don't have a problem with him pitching against his old, his own team, his old team, and that being a mess, um, it's Carmack. Cause you let him use the change up and stuff. I'll tell you what I would do because he looked good in multiple innings the other day. I'd give Mason Morris a start. Um, he was really good over time. He's not one of the three or four guys that I just have to have there in the bullpen. You got Nichols, Nichols you got Mallet, you got Spencer, you got some other dudes. I, I think I would try to stretch Morris out, kind of see what that looked like because he threw the fastball, he threw the breaking ball, he threw some changeups. That, even though it was in relief, that had a little more of a starter profile than maybe I was expecting. Infield defense, what? how are they that bad? I mean, I get it. Reagan Burford not exactly going to win any sort of college version of Gold Glove, but the rest of it was pretty shocking to me. Do you attribute that to everything we just talked to? Do you think that could be a lingering problem for them? Because that would be the most inverse Mike Bianco team of all time. You're sick in the outfield defensive-wise, but you suck in the infield. Like, that would just be hard to – that would be hard to wrap your head around if that ends up being the case. What do you make of the – comedy of errors like literally and figuratively of what happened in the infield over the weekend I, i'm just gonna chalk it up to a really weird game that got out of hand right now um yeah like you said i mean burford's not gonna win a gold glove for sure um but ross and Utermark should um should Do they both... want Utermark to be an infielder they believe Utermark is their best corner infielder and corner outfielder Okay. They think he's the best player at third, first, left, and right. So I sidetracked you, but the reason I asked that is, is he going to make any sort of lineup-dependent decisions in the near future based off of defense as opposed to hitting? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, Not right now, I don't think. I think you still have to just play the best nine bats and figure it out for the most part. Um. The question is going to be who's going to give you those consistent at bats because they they have some guys that can play good enough defensively that I don't think it hurts you. I think they're okay and they have set spots defensively to make that happen. What I would anticipate is I want to see more Braden Randall at second base. I think he's the second baseman as this season moves forward. I just do. I think he ends up winning the job there. Um, whether it be Smithwick or Birch, they got to get this catcher spot kind of figured out and settled in. And now look, I would completely keep playing Smithwick. He has a ton of talent. He didn't practice the entire preseason because of the toe. He's raw. He's a true freshman. You're going to need him if this season is going to be successful. And then I, 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 there's no doubt Luke Hill is better defensively than he showed over the weekend. 
they should be good defensively at first base. And Fisher's fine. I mean, he played there for Duke last year. He even played some other positions for the Blue Devils at times. He's he's okay. It, it, it's fine there. So, no, look, their, their goal is to be – average defensively in the infield and way above average in the in in the outfield from a defensive standpoint because I really thought they wouldn't got the baseball on on the whole weekend in the outfield. I mean Hughes and and Groff can really cover a lane over there. Last thing I have baseball wise is there was a lot of like positive commentary which is rare for Twitter or X whatever Musk wants to call it this week about the broadcast on Friday night, which was funny to me because it's like college baseball people, you're so used to just horrible broadcasts and horrible camera angles. I mean, I, I had so many people complaining to me about the fact that it wasn't televised. I mean, how I blew up your phone being like, what do you mean? It's 2024. How is this possible? Um, a dear friend of ours put out a phony link uh, that probably spammed my phone for half an hour thinking that it finally got fixed. It did not. Um, but with that being said, the broadcast is a former wagering man who is now retired. The whole Friday crew, that's like a legitimate like Spectrum Sports crew. Like they do no, like, those like yeah, like games. they've done some ESPN games. Yeah, that's that like a real great. deal. Did that I mean, I'm sure you were probably somewhat aware of that. Did that make you laugh as much as I did? They're like, wow, these guys are actually okay. I'm like, no, that guy's awesome. Like, I like the way he says Hawaii, they know what they're doing. Like, <laughs> it was just funny to me that people were like, Holy shit, these guys aren't terrible. Oh, you were familiar with those cats. Oh, yeah. A couple times from way back in the college days of some late night <laughs> Hawaii basketball. Those dudes have been at it a long time. Those are real broadcasters. They didn't stick any schmucks in there. But it did make me laugh where they're like, these dudes aren't horrible. I thought they were fantastic because, look, they were great just calling the game. What, what you got out of them and what, what I love about the really good broadcasters is they're just enjoying being there. They're kind of in on the joke that, hey, I'm here just calling some baseball. We're on the island. It's all cool. And they were good enough that they had a bunch of mistakes on like minutia stuff. Like they would say stuff that was not at all true about old Mrs. Roster. Yeah. And I was like, it's cool. It's fine. Like one of them was like, yeah, you know, Campbell Smithwick missed a lot of last season with an injury and really hurt the rebels. And I was like, nah, that's not true, but cool. That's fine. We'll just move on with it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hold out against you. We got that. We got Todd Gurley in the booth for an inning. Like we we, we had plenty of good stuff going on there Friday night. I, I, I love the line. I tweeted about it when Gurley's like, well, yeah, I met this dude at the all-star game and he told me to come out. He owned a resort. Yeah. I mean, he's, 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 he's one of, he's one of my great friends. I've known him a couple of weeks. And I'm like, oh, God. They oh go God. way back. They go a couple weeks. Yeah. Todd Gurley must just be the nicest guy ever. He was at a Duke basketball game recently. I think he's like a Durham kid. But, like, to, I mean, you got to be pretty cool if you didn't go to Duke. You go to Georgia and you're just welcome back at, you know, Cameron Indoor anytime you want. I, I guess I'd like to hang out with Todd Gurley. But that piece of it just made me laugh. And you're also probably not getting phonetic pronunciations as a uh, local baseball opening weekend series type mm. thing. So I'll give him a break on that. That piece of it did make me uh, laugh. Transitioning before we get out of here, a couple of basketball notes. I mean, you've been to a few games, I would say, pretty much all of them, as I uh, look down from the poor people seats to uh, see you and Kara down there most nights. Is <laughs> Saturday night, they, they survived this game. They don't play very well. That got very weird at the end. What do you kind of make of this team's chances to make the NCAA tournament? I haven't really caught up on you and Neil's podcast for the week. What was kind of your takeaway from this weekend and their chances to actually make it? Uh... I'll answer that. Let me throw one at you. Do you because some people argue with me about it today, and I still think I'm right. I think baseball, because of the weather, they're going to have an impact on the attendance for basketball on Saturday, right? If the weather is anything like it's been the last couple of days, absolutely. Because the weather is uh, is sunny and a high of 67 on Saturday. Oh, 
Okay, so I saw Borky had a take that he threw out there on X of like move first pitch up like 35 minutes or an hour or something like that. To You're going to have to leave the baseball game in about the top of the seventh to get to basketball for tip. Yeah, I'm, I can already predict how this is going to go. Baseball is going to have a great crowd because it's an enjoyable day outside. There's going to be 9 million threads on the message board why <laughs> Ole Miss is not serious about athletics because the gym's not full for the basketball game, but it is for baseball. It's like maybe people just like drinking beer outside as awesome as the pavilion is. So, yes, I <laughs> – I agree. What, okay. what, what was the, what was the, you mentioned you were right on this. What was the pushback to that? You really, well, there's people saying no way that for, there, there was just people going no way for high point in baseball or people not going to come over for basketball in South Carolina. And I'm like, I'm just telling you, like, I'm not saying it's going to be empty in the pavilion, but it's going to have an impact. When first pitch is noon and the basketball game starts at two 30. Look um, at the attendance last year. They went six and 24. You could be paying Lafayette high. People just like to go out there and have a good time. That's really kind of what this baseball thing is. And I don't mean that as a knock. It's like a credit to Mike and everything they've done and the whole Swayzeville thing last year and all that. But you're you're lying to yourself if you think that, like, no, everyone will go to hoops. It's like, no, they're probably just going to do My point that. I was – with my, my point of that – and, look, you can follow both. I mean, there are people that are just locked into Ole Miss Athletics. This is not a criticism statement, but – I, I, I just kind of got amazed because, yeah, I was at the game on Saturday night, and I was, to be honest, I did it because I was tired. I was kind of like, hey, if I go to the basketball game, I'll get some adrenaline and like, stay up and finish working here after the second game of the doubleheader. And I had an AirPod in. I was listening to the baseball game. And if I walked anywhere, I was running into people going, hey, what's the baseball score? Hey, you listen to the game? What's the baseball score? And I'm like, you people are more worried about the baseball team in Hawaii right now than, like, the game going on in front of you. It just kind of kept catching me off guard as I was walking through the arena. But um, look, you you take two things out of Saturday night. They survived. You just need wins. They don't need to be style. They, they don't have to be whatever. You just need more points than the other team. They got it. They need four more for a guarantee. They need three more to get into the, on the bubble. Um, and it's there. I mean, look, A&M at home is winnable. Georgia on the road is winnable. Missouri on the road has to be a win, in my opinion. Um, they have a great shot against Alabama. They have a great opportunity against Alabama at home. Alabama's not the same team on the road as they are in Coleman Coliseum. I think Wednesday night's their most difficult game in Starkville. That's just that's going to be a very difficult one to win. I do not believe they'll win that game on Wednesday against the Hump. But the wins are still potentially out there. On the other side, this looks like a tired team. This looks like a team that has had to fight to get where they are. They should be commended for the point they are to where we're even discussing the NCAA tournament as we get close to March. But they can't play like they played Saturday and beat any other team remaining on their schedule, including Mizzou, when they played them in Columbia. That was their worst played game in weeks. They didn't have any energy. You know, in the first half, they weren't even moving the ball. It just looked like no matter where the ball got on the perimeter, it was getting stuck. They weren't moving it in to bring it back out. They they didn't play a good basketball game. Now, they shot well. They were over 50% from three for the game, and that won the game for them. But they need a little more energy. They got to find a way. You know, I think Saturday – that's the game, is if you're serious about this and you're going to make the NCAA tournament, you have to beat South Carolina at home. I think there's several games that just have to be wins, and you need four. I think three of those have to be Missouri on the road, A&M at home, and South Carolina at home. And that gives you opportunities then to play Alabama at home and to go at Georgia even if they lose tomorrow night. So, you know, look, it doesn't look as good as it did a few weeks ago, but they're still in this thing. They are they would be the seventh seed in the SEC tournament if the tournament started today. That's top half. That's way better than anybody would have given them heading into the season. Beard's done a phenomenal job. I give Matt Morrell a ton of credit for the way he's hung up in there. He saved them on, on Saturday in, in a number of ways. So, look, it's there. Come to the games. Cheer. 
your team has an opportunity. But I, I just thought, hey, they're going to need to find a second win, find another year, because that that looked like a tired, really kind of beaten up team a little bit for most of that game against Missouri. I mean, look, they were they were down double digits in the second half. That's not a good recipe against a team that was 0-11 in the SEC coming in. And a quick sidebar to that, too. It's weird that they were that tired because they're coming off the heels of not having to play a two-game week. Which, by the way, Bracken told me has happened every year. Have I just been living under a rock for my entire existence? I have never remembered a basketball team not going Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday for three straight months when you get to conference play. Is this by new? Do you remember this? Can you can you give us a ruling? Do you always have one sort of, whether it's a midweek or the end off? I don't I, remember. I, I, I do not recall this, and I did not know it was on the schedule until I, until I just saw it last week or whenever that was. No, you know, I know we've always had the – Big 12 game or whatever, or whatever that one to be during the early part of the deal. But no, otherwise, I was not aware of this. Uh, maybe I just missed it. I mean, I don't follow basketball that strongly. And it also might be because we're in a leap year. It could have like yes. thrown an extra game in there somehow. So I was the same way. But the problem was, I was arguing against a guy who worked on an SEC staff for four years. So I didn't feel like I could win that one on my own. But I was like, okay. damn, I don't really remember this at all. But well, because you know, point- in football, this is the year where we have two buys. Right, leap year type thing. That makes a bit of sense. When the calendar kind of jumps, you get that every now and again. I just never remembered it in basketball. You made the point they need four to be guaranteed. They're six and six. If you get to 10 and eight, you're probably good. You have three Mm -hmm. home games and what, two road games left? You got Athens and Columbia and that's it. Yeah. Do you either go perfect at home and then try to steal one on the road? But like, I. I, You have to beat Missouri because they're RPI. I think you have to win in Columbia, Missouri, no matter what, because they're just so freaking bad. Yes. So that's got to be one, and I think you got to beat South Carolina at home, and I think you got to beat A&M at home. And then that leaves you at State, at Georgia, and Alabama at home. And it basically comes down to Alabama and Georgia, right? I mean, can you can you get one of the two of those to kind of guarantee you're in the tournament? Which, again, it's all fun and games talking about it. This is not any sort of, like, pressurized conversation from that standpoint because who would have ever thought this team would have been here? I mean, hell – Two, a week and a half ago, they were playing a game at South Carolina. One of their leading scorers, the guy they're going to in crunch time, unless I got some different explanation that I didn't see in the press conference, they couldn't play him for defensive purposes on the perimeter. Think about that. The guy you're kind of going to in crunch time, I can't really play this dude because he's a, such a matchup nightmare defensively, and that's not really a dig at Juju. It's really kind of a compliment to everything Beard's accomplished this year. In the best league in America, by the way, like they, this is the toughest conference in basketball by a long shot. And they're in this thing at six and six. And again, this team kind of is what it is. My message, if there's any sort of preaching to fans would be just to enjoy the hell out of this and see where it shakes out. That being said, it would be kind of a buzzkill if they did all this and didn't actually make the tournament. No, this is a team that now they're in the spot needs to get there. I mean, I feel that in all ways because look, otherwise, what did the year give you? It gave you like, five fun environments you know what i mean like you need more than that like that was cool i mean memphis north carolina state all the games they won at home all the stuff the big start blah blah blah. but no you need to you need to finish it you need to capitalize capitalize off of it because also it helps in recruiting in two ways just your profile who you are from pr standpoint and then two to help gather nil dollars and that's the biggest part of this is that look at that roster Chris Beard, assuming he's back next season, he loses a lot off this roster. They've got to fix it with recruiting and portal and all those guys. There doesn't seem to be a ton of dudes just on the bench that are really ready to step up and play that didn't play considerable minutes this season. So it's it's not just an automatic plug and play for for 2024 or 2025 and into going into next season. It's 
it's a roster that's going to need some cash. It's going to need some collective money. It's going to need a way to uh, to fix some things as they move forward into next year, no matter what the way this uh, this year plays out. I have no idea if you brought this up on the podcast yet, but there is a little bit of buzz in the, uh, I would say, agent and coaching circles. Is Chris Beard back in 2024 or five, whatever you want to call this? Uh, I'm not ready to say he's not by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not ready to have that conversation. I will, however, say that I believe that if Eric Musselman leaves Arkansas for any reason whatsoever, Chris Beard is their number one choice. I do believe that to be true, and that is somewhat sourced. And not that we're gigantically sourced at Arkansas at all. Wouldn't you probably lean that Musselman ends up kind of smoothing over some of the I don't people. know if he can get the Louisville gig. I don't know if things have gone so weird he just has to get out. That's yeah, that's the problem is I don't I, I have some Arkansas sources on Beard, but as far as what Musselman's actual go, situation yeah. is right now, I have no idea. But I mean it does not look good. And look, that's the that's the that's the cautionary tale is that Arkansas had three seasons of really good basketball in a row. I think two elite eights if I have that right. And they He's thought the elite class eight, elite was, eight sweet 16. Yeah, there you go. But and in I fairness, think, he would not be leaving because of the results. No, but no, that's my point, though, is this year happened after that type of success and just missing on some portal continuity. That's what happened. They just didn't put a roster together that, that fit. I mean, Because yeah. they were bad before the other stuff, is my point. Like, it wasn't like they yes. fell apart when that happened. That just added to the fire that was already in place. Yeah, that's fair. That's, uh, yeah, quite the touchy situation there. I do think he's probably back next year. I think that's a huge win for Ole Miss, though, if he ends up being back next year. You know, I've talked to some people about kind of like what it means for the program. Hell, I, two Saturdays ago, I ran into a former staffer at Ole Miss who was like, I saw him in like the drink line, and he was like, it brings a tear to my eye to see this place filled up. And like, it's awesome for a year, but if Ole Miss can just get the continuity of him at least being back one more year, I think we talked about with however long Beard's here, it elevates the job. I think that would do wonders to do that versus just being here one year. Like if you're here two years, I think the whole idea of elevating the job is a lot more realistic and a lot more tangible to point to, yes, that actually happened than this being just a four month blip and he's somewhere else next year. Well, yeah, because especially in today's college basketball world, because it's not even like, hey, he built up the program and it's better than he left. No, in some ways you're worse when a coach leaves if he leaves really fast like that because it's not like you retrain the entire roster and brought dudes in. They came in for one year and they have open abilities to leave and all the stuff as the rules permit. So, no, you to, – to, I want to take this out of beard because I, I'm, I'm just careful about the whole beards leaving immediately kind of thing. A coach in general – yeah. They have to stay at a program three years to change the actual DNA of that program. Anything left, and it's simply just a stop sign, and you move on. It doesn't really change anything long term where the culture of the DNA is shifted. Totally agree. I think that's why him being back next year will be totally important for them. Last thing, we got to work some golf in the conversation. We had been back and forth about uh, your PGA Tour viewership this year. Mm -hmm. uh, mine's been pretty low. And I have to be, I don't know if this is like a dirty sin to admit. Uh, I did watch the final round of Live Mexico and Live Las Vegas. <laughs> uh, this whole on the thing, CW on YouTube, where are we watching it? I streamed it on, I want to, not Peacock, like Fubo TV or somewhere had okay. it, I think. I, I got it up on my, I'm a cut cord cutter now. So it definitely was not the CW, or at least I don't think it was. Maybe okay. Fubo has CW. I don't know. I got it up. But as this this story continues to evolve, it's and I know we talked about this a few weeks ago. 
the whole idea of like, oh, the PJ Tour just lost a couple of stars that were defectors, and this is not a real league. That narrative is now gone, is it not? Completely. You, you like you can't be a golf fan and be like, I don't care what John Rom, Cam Smith, and all these other dudes do on a on a weekly basis. You just can't. And also, the live broadcast kicks the uh, PJ Tour's ass. I'll just throw that in there. They show a lot more golf shots. Have you become a? I say live guy. Have you watched any live? I I felt dirty admitting this, but I have with my golf viewership in general going down. You still would like judge anybody that was like wearing a live hat around or something, though, right? Like, yes. oh, not okay. even just a live hat, but if you're if you're if you're you know wearing a range goat shirt, I'm like, dude, what what's your okay. deal? What's what's wrong with you? But it was compelling golf, like for the most part. You know what I mean? Like, I can't no, not look, watch it. I don't know where to find it, and it has not gotten into my DNA to f- turn it on yet. If that makes sense, like I don't think about it. But no, look. I mean, I, I, I'm a sicko. You're a sicko. You would have recognized most of it. But this tournament over the weekend the other day was some of the, um, you know, it, it's maybe one of the best course in the country when it comes to a non-major event at Riviera. It's all Pretty these different things. Place. Yeah, it's all those different things. And I'm pulling it up here. The leaderboard on Sunday featured Chris Kirk, uh, Ben Hudon, Nick Taylor, uh, Tagala, Aberg, Murray, and JT Poston. The average person has no freaking idea who who those people are. And frankly, I'm not sure the average person knows who. Uh, that didn't even count Matthew Pavon, who Matthew Pavon, who was winning. Wait, and wait, then, go up one more. We're talking Genesis here. Yeah, because I actually watched the Genesis. No, no, no. This is Cantlay. You're talking about the week oh, pro- this is FedEx. Sorry, FedEx Cup standings. The point. Yeah. My, my fault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My fault. Point. FedEx Cup standings. Point remains that um, the weekend before, you're like, who the hell is this leaderboard? They actually got a little bit lucky with the fact that Hideki was just sick on the back. Yeah, Hideki shot 29 yeah, on the backside of Riviera. But your point being, it's like, what what am I watching? Who was this for? I didn't watch last week. I watched this week because I wanted to see Cantley or Zalatoris come back. And then Hideki ruined it, even though he's kind of a star too. But last week, I didn't watch because I looked at the leaderboard and was like, what the hell is this? If Liv could get on a TV station that I watch in any way at any time slot, I think I would convert 60, 60% of my golf viewership to live. Are you That's a cord cutter or are you on cable? I'm a cord cutter, but I have basically anything that I could have to try to stream things. So, I mean, I can turn it on. It's just not in my, you know what I mean? Right. Like it's not in my normal, it's not, I can't go to YouTube TV or Hulu and just turn it on is my point. Um, I would definitely watch it at least like we watch Coffee Golf with the European Tour in the mornings or something, if, if it was available in, in a format that made sense to me. Have you ever watched a live broadcast? Because it Never. Okay, so two things. They show golf shot after golf shot. There's no CEO from some asshole company that's wearing <laughs> a, a blazer being like, we're so grateful for the charitable benefits of this. They have this awesome leaderboard, which I guess you can get away with when you have like 40 players on the side at all times. And it moves up like a NASCAR race, like when a guy okay. makes a birdie and stuff like, like that. Like horse racing. Yes. I enjoy yeah. that piece of it. I enjoy the amount of golf shots. And I enjoy like the enthusiasm they have, even though it's like oversold. Like, I mean, the Bryson made a putt when he won whatever live event and the guy was like a moment in history. I'm like, dude, chill out. Like this is a startup company. So who are the announcers? It is. So Jerry Foltz is one of the on-course guys who was at Golf Channel for a long time. It's some British or Australian dude who, if you heard the voice, you'd be like, I know exactly who this guy is, but I don't know his name. And 
I don't know who the rest of their on-course people are. They're certainly not Smiley Kaufman or whoever the hell else, Golf Channel. And Balls Mackay is not out there. It's it's not the announcers. It's how they present it. It's guy hits a shot, go to the next shot over and over and over and over again, like rapid fire type of thing. I enjoy that piece of it. And then obviously the talent has gotten to that much. And I guess I bring all this up to mention a theory. I was looking up last night. Our uh, friend of the show, Wilson Ferb, is a rookie on the PGA Tour. The way they've handled all of this, I think, is so stupid because Fur was not a nobody. Fur was a, the the recruits recruit. He goes to Alabama. Granted, it has a little bit of an underwhelming college career, but I mean, he signed with an agent out of college. He does everything the way you're supposed to do. He goes through the Corn Ferry Tour. He gets his card by the narrowest of margins. Fur doesn't get into either Hawaii event. Obviously, the first one it's very hard to. I mean, you couldn't get into that. Doesn't get into the Sony. Gets into the American Express, makes the cut, has back issues, WDs. Then he uh, misses the cut the next week. He has not played golf in three and a half weeks. They're in Mexico this week. If he doesn't make the cut, by my calculations, which could be totally wrong, I'm bad at this, he's not guaranteed a single event in the Florida Swing, except for maybe the Valspar. So you would now enter mid-March post-players, and he's had three PGA Tour starts as a card-carrying rookie. How are you supposed to develop future stars of this with that being the case? They've catered way too much to the top-end guys in non-sustainable prize money to where they're eliminating the, I mean, the Brooks Kepkas or anyone basically not named Jordan Spieth that didn't have to go through the Corn Ferry Tour. That is bonkers to me, and I think they're setting themselves up for future failure as Liv continues to win this fight, is my point. Once they got Rom, once they got Terrell Hatton, yes, the entire thing changed where you can no longer look at them as a a heel or a startup or anything like that. They are a legitimate golf league that has legitimate players with a format that is frankly more digestible, even though we don't inherently understand it to the point of it's what we prefer because we're so ingrained in the PGA thing. And look, I'm... I'm that guy. I'm not necessarily this corporate, oh, look at how great they are in the charities. No, no, no. They're in for themselves like everybody else. They do a lot of dumb crap. They don't show golf. They show too much other stuff. It's a bad product in a lot of ways. But I know the courses, and I like the people, and I'm so used to it that it's what I want to watch on Sunday afternoon. But once you get the guys that we're talking about, and you're putting this product together, and you get it up there, and you go, no, they're just showing golf. I'm just hanging out. I'm catching it. Who's to say I don't have some affinity for whoever the 17th ranked live player in their tour is? And I start going, no, I like that dude, whoever that dude is. I mean, I don't know, but you know what I mean? Like, I mean, we have something for, I don't know, I'm trying to come up with some random guy, but you know, like Keith Mitchell, we start watching him and go, oh, Keith Mitchell's super. I mean, go find the lives, Keith Mitchell. All right, fine. I'll, I'll root for that guy. It's cool. What's the problem? I mean, like the top of the leaderboard is going to be dudes we've heard of. I like watching Cam Smith play golf. If it's where I got to go to watch Cam Smith play golf, then okay, cool, sweet. And the the Keith Mitchell analogy, the problem with that is they're losing on that ground too. The Keith Mitchell of the live is now going to become like Eugenio Chikara, who was like the sickest amateur player for 18 months ever. Like they're <laughs> winning that battle too. They have like three of the last five USAM champions. It's just wild to me. But I, think- I am having a problem going, hey, we're not, you know, I, I get the majors. I understand all that to whatever extent that counts because world golf ranking points. But in general, that's what's pissing me off is going, you're just screwing the viewer. I mean, again, I forget to yes. put my my fantasy points in, my fantasy players in most weeks because I forget you even have a freaking event. 
can we not just find a way to actually count the viewer, count the people who matter to, to make sure we have a product where I can watch freaking John Rom play Roy McElroy and J Jordan Smith on the same go Jordan Spieth. I said Roy McElroy and Jordan Smith there. You know what I mean? On the same freaking course more than four times a year. Is that not possible? Supposedly it's coming. I don't really know how that's sure. going to work. Well, apparently Congress is going to get involved, which I'm sure is going to be awesome. So it, we're just, it's a bad time to be a golf fan. I got very frustrated about that. I had to vent about that for 10 minutes, but I'm like, I'm watching a dude who did everything the right way. And it's like, you're screwed. You have three starts before April. And when it, before it gets harder to get an event, it's like, good luck, pal. Like, please T10 one time. You either, you either have a weekend where you go crazy and have a top 15 or you're just out until some crappy minor league tournament when it comes yeah, around. Yeah, it's a lottery ticket pre-masters, and then it's a real longer shot Powerball lottery ticket post-masters. Like, what are you supposed to do? So, mm. I don't know. Tough time to be a golf fan. I might become a live guy. You might see me in Range Goats gear uh, yeah. walking around here pretty soon. He is Chase Parham. I appreciate the time, man. We'll talk soon. Yep, sounds good. All right, that's going to do it for our show today. A couple more pods coming to you later this week got a football player interview and some baseball talk potentially with colin brister talk to bracken ray on sunday so be on the lookout for those thanks for listening to the show as always and we'll talk to you here real soon